Let's take our Bible. We'll go back to Luke chapter 24. This morning, we looked at the roadblock to recognizing Jesus. Tonight, I want to look at the response to recognizing Jesus. And so I'm going to begin, oh, about verse 25 or so. He says, let's just just read a little bit here. In verse 25, he's, remember, he is on the road from uh, to Emmaus from Jerusalem, six miles. It's a, they called it a Sabbath day journey. And, uh, and he's been on the road with these two fellows, Cleopas and his friend, who are disciples of Christ. And uh, they are downhearted because they, they haven't got the message right. They didn't see the uh, demonstration right. And so I want to read beginning verse, uh, let's see, let me start in 25. Then he said unto them, O fools, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. And he's going to begin, I'm, my first, uh, the first response in, in these guys' hearts is as is a response to the instruction of the Word of God in their hearts. Could I, I? I imagine we could say to every one of us, that was our first response, wasn't it? Somebody told us John three sixteen or some simple scripture, and it got a hold of our hearts, and we had to respond. Isn't that the way it worked? Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. That's how we come to faith. Okay, so the response of instruction of the Word of God. He said, Ought not Christ to have suffered these things to enter into His glory? Now, here's a key verse. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets... He expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And, and they drew nigh unto the village whither they went. He made as though he would have gone further. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it's toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went to tarry with them. I'm going to stop reading right there. We'll come back a little further in just a minute. So we have, we have seen their roadblocks, their eyes, their ears. Uh, they didn't believe. They didn't believe the testimony of heaven. They didn't believe the testimony of the women. They didn't believe the testimony of the other disciples. They were completely filled with unbelief. We can all fall into that trap. Some smart preacher could get up and twist the scriptures and we pretty soon we're doubting whether we believed right or wrong or come back to the book this is the book he said he went he went to 
uh, beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them all the scriptures, in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. 44. Over to verse 44. Now it's, now we're in the next section of this chapter. He has moved off the road to Emmaus. Now he's appeared inside the upper room where the eleven disciples are. And he said unto them, These are the words I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of the Moses, and in the prophets, and in the Psalms concerning me. Are y'all getting this? The scriptures Jesus dealt with are what we call the Old Testament. And those three divisions he just gave you, the, uh, the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms, that is inclusive of the whole Old Testament. That's the divisions of the Old Testament. There's the historical books, there's the poetical books, and there's the prophetical books. When you get through with that, you're through with the Old Testament. And, he said, and so he said, in verse 45, Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the Scripture. It's a spirit-written book. If we understand it, we must understand it on the level of the Holy Spirit uh, teaching us. Amen, Brother Wayne. That's a basic. So he opened their understanding. And over in verse number 27, he expounded unto them in all the scripture the things concerning himself. There's a, there is a theology that preaches feel good. And their, their preaching is about how I feel. It's not about how I feel. It's about the Word of God. Whether I feel good or whether I feel bad, this Word of God is still the Word of God. And if I approach Him, I must approach Him through understanding of the Word of God. That's a basic to Christian growth. And uh, so, so the response of instruction. I wanted to look just a little bit at what he said. He said that he expounded into them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So I'm going over here to Moses, over to Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Chapter 3 is, is the record of God coming to the garden after that Adam and Eve have committed sin. And chapter 3 will give you three judgments. The judgment of the man, the judgment of the woman, and the judgment of Satan. The man's going to say to God, it was that woman you gave me. The woman's going to say to God, it was that serpent who deceived me. And we're still saying stuff like that today. The reason I sinned is because so-and-so offended me and got me mad, and then I did, or somebody tricked me and, and I lusted and uh, uh, you know it's, uh, it's never our fault it's always somebody else's fault 
But here's what he says. The Lord God said to the serpent, verse 14, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle and above all, all every beast of the field, and upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust thou shalt eat all the days of thy life. Apparently, up to this time, he has not had to do that. He was a beautiful creation, right? And he must have been upright, standing upright. But now he said, you're going to go on your belly the rest of your days. And when you see that thing slithering through the grass, they say, look for a round head or a triangle head or something. Do y'all do that? No. We hate those snakes, don't we? Somebody said there, I was down in, I was preaching in Huntington, Texas, down by, down close to Lufkin, and a lady killed two timber rattlers as long as that set of benches almost, they looked like to me, they were six, seven foot long. Somebody said, didn't you know those are a protected species? They'll put you in jail for killing them. She said, they were up by my house, and if they get my chickens, I'll, I won't have chickens. So, so she took care of two of them. <laughs> we need to be, hey, you have to have a little bit of spiritual sense. Well, there's common sense, right? Yeah. Amen. Uh, that's 14. Here's 15. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed, and it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. First mention of Calvary. First mention of a virgin. See, it's her seed, not his seed. It's her seed. It's the seed of the woman. First mention of a virgin birth. There's no man involved. The Holy Spirit came on that little virgin and she bore the Son of God. And so first mention of virgin birth, first mention of Calvary, first mention of the the defeat of Satan, first mention of the, of, the, of the battle of the ages. And it begins right there, goes all the way through your Bible, and it's still running today. Jesus said the thief has come, but for to kill, to steal, and to destroy. He's still the same devil he's always been. So that was all in the third chapter of Genesis. Amazing what that Bible gives you, right? It was, so what's this, what's this third chapter of Genesis about? Somebody said, well, she ate, she ate, and he ate, and, the, and, and it's the judgment of God. No, it's a, it's, a, it's a prophecy of the Lord Jesus Christ who came for sinners before sin was ever committed and was, the, and was already predicted the day of the first sin. He already was in place. He's going to bruise your head, devil. You're going to bruise his heel on the cross of Calvary, but he's going to bruise your head. He's coming forth victorious over death, hell, and the grave. Jesus sat over there and 
it says over in Revelation chapter 1 that he, that he has the, he, I am he that was alive and then, and then was dead and now I'm alive forevermore and I have. Hey devil, look at this. I have the keys of hell and death. I am in charge of hell and death. I have defeated hell and death. So, that's what Moses said about Jesus. Go a little further over to Genesis chapter 22. In Genesis chapter 22, I was teaching a Sunday school class a couple of weeks ago, and we got on this. The book of Genesis. He takes about a chapter and a half to talk about creation. He takes the first 11 chapters of Genesis to talk about human, human mankind, human humanity in general over the whole world. But beginning in chapter 12 and for the rest of the, not only the book of Genesis, but the rest of the uh, rest of the Old Testament, God is going to deal with a particular people. We call them Jews. He calls them Hebrew. They're the children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And think about this. I was reading this the other day in, in uh, I've been reading a creation versus the Bible book. And in the creation, somewhere around uh, 1500 or something like that, they said, the, the wise scientists said, there's 128 stars in heaven. Well, 100 years ago or so, they said they're there's probably 200,000 stars in heaven. Now they're saying that, they're, that just the stars in our universe, just our little universe, is uncountable. There's so many stars out there we can't count them. You know what? God took one verse to say, I hung the stars up there. He's going to spend the whole rest of the book telling us about a Savior who came for men. He spent all, he spent uh, four-fifths of the book of Genesis just talking about the Jews. I mean, people like Abraham, Isaac, I just preached all last week on Jacob, and Jacob was a no-good who God said, I'll make a prince out of. And then Jacob had to get Jacob out of the way before God could ever do what he wanted to do with him. Y'all have that problem? I do. Every once in a while, Wayne Hudson gets in the way of what God wants to do. I have to get him out of the way regular. Greatest enemy I have to serving God is the guy I shaved in the mirror this morning. But why did God take all that time talk about the Jews and, and uh, I mean, 
countless stars, he spent, he'd give them one verse. What do you think? Here's what I think. God loves his people. God loves people that will love him. God loved us before we ever loved him, but we love him because he first loved us. God loves us. So over here in Genesis chapter number 22, he's got a man now. He found a man. Down in Ur of the Chaldees among the heathens, he was an idol worshiper, came out of an idol worshiping group down there in Tira. And God said, get up from here and go to, go to the land I'll show you. And he's on his way now. That whole Old Testament deals with people, with the land. We deal with the Savior. He de we deal with a person. They dealt with the land. If you, could get, if you could get to Jerusalem, if you could get to Canaan land, huh? you know, if you, back a hundred, two hundred years ago, people were writing songs about Canaan as being heaven. Canaan's not heaven. Canaan's a battleground. There's lots of trouble in Canaan. But it was God's land. It was the promised land. It was the land of milk and honey. And, and his, his man over there in Hebrews, look, I might as well go there. Stop, hang on to 22, we're coming back. Moses still doing the preaching. Over in Hebrews, chapter number 11, you remember he said we're... Seeing we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us uh, look under, and, and then we got the by faith, the hall of faith in chapter number 11. In verse 8, by faith Abraham, when he was called to go out to a place which he should have to receive for inheritance, Obeyed and went out, not knowing whither he went. By faith he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. And he, for he looked for a city that had foundations, whose builder and maker was God. Seventeen. By faith Abraham, when he was tried, offered up. Je I offered up Isaac, he that received the promises, offered up his only begotten son. Can you see God overseeing the writing of the Bible? Can you see this chapter? It says that we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Can you see it? And there's old Jacob. Uh, uh, there's Abraham. Look at your verse over here. Verse number 22. Chapter number 22 of Genesis. It came to pass after these things. God did tempt Abraham. And said unto him, Abraham. And he said, Yes, sir. Reporting for duty, sir. No, what he said was, Here I am. Which is that kind of a response in the Old Testament. When God says, you, you'll see it through, your, through the Old Testament. He said, here I am. What he said was, 
Here I am ready to do your will, Lord. Here I am at your, at your command, Lord. I'll, and, and he said, he said, I want you to take your only begotten son. That's what Hebrews said. Can you see this? Here's the spiritual imagination. John Phillips told me that you got to have a good imagination to be a good preacher. So here it is. Surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, that's what the Bible says. Can you see them pulling the curtains of heaven back? And God says, come on over here. Come on over here. I want y'all to see this. Said, you see that old man down there? See, he's got the wood, the fire, the knife, all that. You see that? You see that boy? That's his only begotten son. He's got another son, but he's not a son of promise. God has other sons, but they're not the son of promise. We are sons of God, but we're not the sons of promise. And over in Hebrews it said, he looked at Abraham as he offered his only begotten son. Can you see this? And God says to the angels and to the to whoever's in the court, hey, look out there. You see that old man going up on that mountain with that knife? He's going to offer his only begotten son. Do you understand? That's me. He's representing me. It's God going on the mountain with his only begotten son, and it's going to be the mountain of Calvary, and he's going to offer his only begotten son for the sins of men. You see that? Moses wrote that. He was writing about Jesus. When Isaac said, here's the bread, let's see, Isaac said, Father, behold the fire, the wood, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Those Jews are still asking that question. Where's the lamb? That's an Old Testament question. I mean, it began in the Garden of Eden, didn't it? When, when he covered their sins with the skins. I think they're sheep skins, but that's just me. I, I can't. The scriptures said the skin of an animal. And pictured the sacrifice of the only begotten son. That's, the Old Testament is just types and shadows and pictures of what God's going to do for us in the New Testament. The old preacher told me when I started years ago, look for Jesus on the page of the book. Well, here he is. He asked an Old Testament question. Where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham gave him a New Testament answer. Son, God will provide himself a lamb. And over in John chapter 1, verse 29, John the Baptist down at Jordan looks up and said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And the Lamb that was... So, that's, that's, uh, that's Moses. And then over in Exodus chapter number 12, God said to Moses... 
I say, I got a verse I want to read. Well, I'll just, I'll just go to 13. He says, he said, I'll pass through the land of Egypt this night, and I will smite all the firstborn of the land of Egypt, both man and beast, against all the gods of Egypt will I execute judgment. I am the Lord God. And the blood shall be for you a token on the house where you are. And when I see the blood, I'll pass over you. 22, you'll take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that's in the basin and strike the lintel and the, and the two side posts with the blood. For the Lord will pass through to smite the Egyptian. And when he sees the blood on the lintel on the two side posts, the Lord will pass over you. He said... He said, take a lamb, kill it, kill the Passover, catch the blood, paint the doorposts, because the blood, the life of the flesh is in the blood, and without the shedding of blood, there's no remission for sin. He's going to say that over again over in Hebrews chapter 9, in, in 9, uh, 20, Twenty-two. Almost all things are by the blood purged, or by the law purged with blood, and without the shedding of blood is no remission. Verse twelve, chapter nine. Let's start in verse eleven. Eleven says, "But Christ, being come a high priest of good things to come, by the great, greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building." neither by the blood of goats or calves, but by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. Let me give you a word, and I, and I urge you to do it. I just urge you to do a word study. The word is hapax. John, you know hapax? Hapax means once for all. Never to be repeated. Once for all people. Once for all sins. Once, once. Look at it. By his own blood he entered in once for all. It'll never be repeated again. And you can, if you just track it through Hebrews chapter 9 and 10, you'll find hapax again and again. It's one eternal sacrifice. David said, over in Psalm 22, he said, he said the, the book of Moses, then he said Psalms, Psalm 22, David said this, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? You remember Jesus said that on the cross of Calvary. Verse 3, you will not find a definition. He's going to say in verse 2, Oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest me not in the night season. I'm not silent. Listen, here's the reason. But thou art holy. O thou that inhabit the praises of Israel. Down in 24, He had not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, neither has he hid his face from him. But when he cried unto him, he heard the cry of Calvary. 
David wrote that. That's Old Testament. That's, that's a thousand years or so before the cross. And then you can go over to Isaiah. We got into we've been doing the major prophets this year in our in our college. We got into Isaiah. I, I have come to the opinion that this is the single greatest chapter in the Old Testament. It may be the greatest chapter in the whole Bible. Look at verse number twenty-two. Our chapter 22 of Isaiah, verse 13. He said, Behold my servant. Who is God's servant? It's the Lord Jesus Christ. Down, he identifies him. Verse 11. Let's see. No, I won't go. Yeah, well, I'll just go to that. Verse 10. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He's going to, you, sometime you ought to go through and just mark the personal pronouns in Isaiah 53. He, him, his, we, I. Just mark them all and then see what you have. Everything he did, it's described in chapter 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Verse 11. Here's one of the greatest verses in the Bible. He shall see the travail of his... He, God, shall see the travail of his servant's soul. And shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant. There's only been one person in all the history of the world that could be called God's righteous servant. He was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. He, he He is worthy to be our high priest, to stand before God for us because he is absolutely sinless. He said... He said, he, he God shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. Could I say this? The only time in the King James Bible that God is satisfied is right there. It's not before or again in your Bible. One time. Daniel preached on justification the other night. Justification bases itself on his righteousness. His righteousness is imputed to our unrighteousness. Our unrighteousness is put imputed to his righteousness. And God is satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many for he shall bear their iniquities. So here it is. Jesus, here's, a, here's the prophecy. Jesus went to the cross. Darkness covered the earth. God looked on. He did cry, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That was in the middle of the battle. 
But on the other side of the battle, you hear that athlete say, I thirst. And they took that hyssop bush and gave him vinegar to drink. And he turned to God and proclaimed it. It is finished. Completely righteous. Completely paid for. Completely justified. It's it, it's to tell us die. It has been finished in the past. It is finished now, and it forever will be finished. Right. There will never be another sacrifice. Right. And then he says, Father, somebody said he swooned and died on the cross. No, he didn't. With a loud voice he said, Father, into, into thy hands I commend my spirit. I have paid your price. The, the price satisfied your, your just demand. And now I'm coming back home. I'm coming back to the throne. It was all, hey, no man takes my life from me, but I lay it down willingly. That's Old Testament. That's Old Testament preaching of Jesus. I got to go on. So Jesus expounded the Bible, and the key to the Bible is John 5, 39. Search the Scriptures. In them you think you have eternal life, they are they which testify of me. Find Jesus on the page of the book. Get the message of Jesus out of your Bible, whether it's Old Testament, New Testament. I was in the book of Habakkuk here a while back, and somebody said, I heard somebody say, Find Jesus on the page of the book. Habakkuk doesn't make sense if you don't find Jesus. But it makes perfect sense once you find him in the, in the middle of the book. So there's a response. The response of instruction. Secondly, there's a response of association. Let's look at our text now. They drew nigh, verse 28, they drew nigh unto the village where they went, and he made as though he would have gone further. Do you think he intended to go further? I don't. He has traveled six miles with these two guys. He has talked to them all day long. Do you think he did all that for nothing? No, he's got a message for them. They are going to become witnesses of the risen Savior to the disciple band. Look at it. Hey, and could I say this? What's required of a witness? You can only tell what you've seen. And all you can, all you can, a witness can only say what he has seen and heard, Right? What I would say to us is we need to get back on our knees and back in our Bible and get to seeing and hearing some stuff so we can be witnesses of Him. Yeah. Right. Our walking orders from heaven are go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Our job as a church is to be a witness of Him. Look at all these empty seats. 
We need, we need to witness to some folks that could fill this place up. This town needs a witness. Our state needs a witness. Our country needs a witness. It all begins with one of us. Are you going to witness or are you not? Are you, are you saved or are you not? If you're saved, will you obey him? So what did he stop for? What did you stop for, Jesus? He made it as if he would have gone further, but they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it's toward evening, and the days far spent. And he went in to tarry with them. What did you stop for? To abide with them, to just rest with them, to communicate with them. See, the second principle is not the response of instruction, but it's a response of association. We love him only because he first loved us. But we never would have known he loved us if we had not associated with him. Somewhere the Holy Spirit had to give us instruction. And now the best thing, he's 1 John. Let's go to 1 John. Here's the best Example I can give you in the Bible, First John chapter one. In First John one three, he says, he he has talked to him about the Christ of reality in the first two verses. He said, "We heard him, we saw him, we looked on him, we handled the word of life." Verse three. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, that ye may also have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you that your joy may be full. Your joy will never be full until you are in a fellowship relationship with Jesus Christ. You don't have to have a teacher to do that. You don't have to have a preacher to do that. What you've got to have is the Holy Spirit Amen. in your heart. Right. And, and just set aside some time. You know, we went to Glen Rose yesterday. My daughter-in-law was there. And the new grandbaby, great-grandbaby was there. And so here I am. I've got sermons to prepare, and they're handing out Bibles at the church. And I had a tough decision, but I went because my daughter-in-law had traveled so far. I went down there to see her, and the first thing happened is she said, Grandpa, do you want to hold this baby? I never had held him. I had looked at him, but I hadn't held him. And I sat down, and I was fiddling with that baby and having such a good time. I've got some pictures if y'all want to see them. <laughs> and I was thinking about, man, I had all that stuff to do up at home. And I've got things that are waiting on me to do, but I sure am enjoying yeah. 
the fellowship with this little fella. You ought to try that with Jesus. Yeah, there's plenty of entertainment spots. There's plenty of things to do with your spare time. But somewhere, sometime, you, I, I advise you, get up early. Get up before everything gets stirred up. Just get, get in your secret spot. Pray and ask God to just give you some joy in your soul. Open your Bible. Let him speak to you. And then turn your face toward heaven and speak to him. Let him become real. Have I ever told you about Dad Shoemake? Anybody here? Dad Shoemake, I found Dad Shoemake in a, Susie and her friend had a rest home thing. They went and sung songs. and They really found Dad Shoemake. But as soon as I found him, I possessed him. Dad Shoemake was in his 90s when we met him. He'd been a Sunday school superintendent, a deacon. He'd been a carpenter, a church builder. He was a soul winner. He was everything you could do in a church except he had never preached. He probably had won more souls than some of his pastors had. He loved God with all his heart. And when I would get down and discouraged, I sometimes I'd say, Susie, I'm going to go out there and see Dad Shoemake. On Monday night, that was, that was usually when I'd go. Monday night, they had a little old ditty bopper group that would come and sing to them. And Dad loved music. And he had sheet music. He'd been in a quartet back in the 1920s. And we did have a picture of that. I think we gave it to, you still got it? It's a wonderful picture. He had served God all of his life. He'd been in a Baptist church all of his life. Just a little old country Baptist church. He had, he touched me and some of those things. And he would be sitting there with his sheet music. He couldn't hardly breathe, but he just waiting on them to call on him so he could sing a note. And I had to wait them out. I really wasn't there for the singing service, John. I enjoy singing, but that, I was needing something from God that night. And finally, they said, okay, we're closing down and we're leaving. And I couldn't wait for that. I said, Dad, you ready to go to your room? And I went over and got his wheelchair. He had all of his stuff and and we were, I was pushing him down the hall and we was talking and I had, I had a motive. I wanted to get down there to the room with Dad and talk about the Lord a little while. He's one of the most godly men I've ever met. He wasn't a preacher. He was a carpenter. His old hands were twisted, his knees and Legs were all twisted up. He had worked all his life driving nails and uh, building buildings. He couldn't sleep in his bed sometimes because of the arthritis pain. So I finally got him to the room. We got past all the music. We got past all the stuff. And finally got him to my room. 
See, when I would go over to the room with him, I'd get down on my knees beside that wheelchair, and he'd put his old hand on my shoulder, Bob, and he'd say, God, would you just take this preacher boy and make a man of God out of him? And he would pour fire in my soul. He was a man of God. I loved him. That night, we rolled into the room. I, I, was, I was trying to get him situated so I could get down there. And he said, uh, Brother Wayne, you should have been here this morning. I said, oh, really? I said, what happened this morning, Dad? He said, God was in this room. I said, well, tell me about it. He said, well, you know, I can't sleep in that bed. And I was sitting over at the window waiting on the sun to come up. And I just got to talking to God. And said, Brother Wayne, he came in this room. He said, oh, it wasn't spooky. I didn't see visions. In fact, I was afraid to turn around. But I know he was here. He said, I could feel him in my soul. He was speaking to me. I'm looking out the window. He's right behind me. You have one of them? That's not charismatic junk. That's what John was talking about in John chapter, 1 John 1, 3. We fellowship with him. You need to fellowship with him. You need what he can give you more than you need what the preacher can give you. You need the fellowship of him more than, you know, I'm kind of bothered about, we got men are out there cooking, they need to be in here worshiping right now. Some of us have got so much fish fry on our mind, we can't think about Jesus. He's the reason we're here. Y'all got it? I'm not trying to knock anything. I like fish and stuff just like everybody else. But we come here to meet with him. And there is no fellowship in this world that can take the place of that. And if you don't ever get that, you're not ever going to grow in the Lord. You won't gain strength. He said, you'll never... Peter said, the joy of the Lord is your strength. John said, the fellowship with Christ will give you joy in your soul. So, you look at these two guys, and I'll be done. Back to our text. They said one to another, see, Verse 31, their eyes were opened, they knew him, and he vanished. He fellowshiped with them all day long. Now they finally got to know him, and he's gone. And they said, didn't our heart burn? I've got three things that happen when you recognize him. One is that inward exhilaration. I mean, you can warm your soul up when you're around him. All them old dry, dusty, tear-filled, 
hurtful days all go away when you're around him. But look at verse 33. And they rose up that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. They've been all day getting here, now they're going back. And found the eleven gathered together and them that were with them. And, and so the second thing happens is there comes a time for outward expression. If you've been with Jesus, you may try to hide it. You may try to sit in the corner and say nothing. You've been with Jesus, somebody's going to know it. You can't shut it up. Oh, oh, uh, Dad Shoemaker couldn't shut it up that night. He had to say something. He wanted me to know. He wanted me to know that Jesus was in the play. I can't tell you what that one little prayer meeting with Dad that night has done for me down through the years. Hey, he, was, he had nothing. He couldn't do anything. He was in a wheelchair. All That arthritis had ate him up. He was 92 or 3 years old, and he couldn't get around. But he had Jesus. And he had joy. He could sing because God is doing something in his soul. I see that in your dad, Jeff. He's got some joy that's, that's there because the Lord has been with him. We, doctors can't give you that. Medicine can't fix that. Only the Lord can do that. It's the presence of the Lord. The third thing, they told what things were done in the way. Can you hear? Man, you ought to have seen it. We're going down the road. We couldn't, we didn't understand who it was. And he began to preach the Old Testament Bible. To all of a sudden, he began to give us all the scriptures concerning him. Hey, he went to Calvary because it's, in the, it's over there. Moses wrote it. And that blood was shed so we could be saved. Don't you understand that, men? And the, that's, the, that's the third thing. Inward exhilaration, upward exhortation, but an outward expression. When you see something and when you hear something, you'll be ready to be a witness. And until you do, there is no witness because you haven't saw or heard. The urgency of this hour is that we get on our knees somewhere, get in our prayer closet, get in our private spot, and get back with Jesus. Amen. Let him work in our heart to do in us and be in us what he'd like to be. Hey, I've been thinking this all day. I might as well get it out. We're struggling about this pastoral search. You know, it might be that God's waiting on us to get our hearts right. Might be it, we need to have that touch of revival if we'll ever know that man of God that he has. That we ask for a spirit-filled man of God. Well, if we're if we're wrapped up in ourselves. How are we going to know if he's spirit-filled or not? That's right. 
when they kept busted in that room and started talking, I promise you those disciples didn't know what was going on. Jesus had to show up and reprimand them for their unbelief and then show them himself. They had to get it for themselves. We've got to get it for ourselves. There's no message can come off the pulpit and fix it. There's no messenger can come in and fill the pulpit and fix it. It's something that's in your heart, my heart, something you and I must experience. Real revival, whether the church ever has revival, whether this nation ever has, real revival can break out in one heart that is one-on-one with Jesus. Hey, those two guys had revival if the whole disciple band wouldn't receive it. They'd already had it. We can have revival ourselves. Amen. Let's stand. Come on, Brother John. Father, I ask you to have your way with us tonight. I pray you'd be at their church. pray you'd be at those men that are cooking. And, and I ask you, Lord, that you just take charge of our fellowship together. But, Lord... More than that, I pray you'd put us in fellowship with Jesus. Help us to find a spot, search for him, humble our heart, open the book, and speak with you, and know that joy. It only comes by his presence. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Father, we come to you tonight. We just pray that you'll have your perfect will in our lives. Lord, we need you to work in our lives more than ever. We need your strength, Lord. We need, uh, we need your peace. We pray, Lord, that you'll light a fire in our lives. And as Brother Wayne talked about this morning and tonight with 
revival, Lord, that, that you can start a work in us. Lord, I pray that that will happen, Lord, that, that it can start in our hearts, that it can start in our, ourselves, Lord, and that fire will, will spread to others. We'll have a love for you and a love for the things that you love, Lord. Lord, help us to be a witness. Help us to, to do your will, not just say it, Lord, but to live it. Lord, please bless the remainder of the night and the fellowship that we have with one another. Just pray that uh, you'll help us to be more like you each and every day and to draw closer to you. We ask you this, Lord, and also that you'll bless the food. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Let's be dismissed with our chorus. This is my story.